Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna, like that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warmer for the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Dario Melendez. He does terrific work over there with Bali Sports. Covers the Milwaukee Brewers and the Milwaukee Bucks. Chatting with him a little bit about the National League playoff picture. Going to be talking some Milwaukee Brewers, obviously, as well. So we are going to have a good time there. Also going to be looking at the upcoming schedules for the Reds and the Padres. As it's going to be very fascinating to see that wild card race and its conclusion. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. And a little something like the call. Touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And if you got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M, name does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via a five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Wednesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Adam Wainwright now has 15 wins for the St. Louis Cardinals as 
They wind up taking down the LA Dodgers by a count of five to four. By the way, in games in which Mitch White pitches in, the Dodgers are now seven and twelve. But there was a pair of home runs that were launched by the Cardinals. First one was off of Mr. White as Yadier Molina got his tenth home run season, and then Tyler O'Neill got his twenty-fourth home run of the campaign. That one came off of Shane Green a little bit later for White. Gives up four runs over the course of five innings. Shane Green winds up giving up that solo home run in his inning. And then Bursuter Gradrell and Naftali Felice both give you a scoreless saying. Not a ton doing for the Dodgers in this one as their main form of offense. Max Muncy was able to get his 31st home run the season. And for the Dodgers, this is a bunch in which they have now played four overs in their last 22 games. So certainly not a lot of offense there. The Oakland A's haven't been getting a lot of offense recently as they're actually scoring the third fewest runs per game of any team out there in the American League at home. But they take down the Chicago White Sox by a count of 5-1 to as Dallas Keuchel just continues to not have a good run of it. He winds up giving up five runs in this one. And if you take a look at Dallas Keuchel, ever since the beginning of the month of August, his ERA is currently hovering right around 8-5-ish as he winds up going five and two-thirds innings, giving up a home run in the process, going deep off of him. Matt Chapman, his 25th home run season, he's got a double-digit amount of homers since the beginning of the month of August. So he's picking it up and one of Frankie Montas. A very good start, giving up one run over the course of seven innings. Andrew Chafin comes in and gets the final two innings scoreless. And then Jose Ruiz on the bullpen for the White Sox. One and a third inning scoreless. Michael Wright Jr. was able to give you a scoreless inning as well. And for the Chicago White Sox, things have not been going so well for them on the road as their road record drops to 34-35. and 35. Also going to be talking home and road splits with Dario Melendez in the next segment as the Philadelphia Phillies certainly have some of those. And they wind up losing to the Milwaukee Brewers by a count of 4-3 to three for the Phillies. They now find themselves two and a half games out of the National League East race and they are now 32-40 and 40 on the road as they were able to get to Freddie Peralta early but they weren't able to sustain as Peralta winds up going just three and two-thirds innings giving up three runs only one of which was earned. He was hurt by an error out there by Luis Urias his 21st of the season and he did wind up giving up a home run in this one going deep for the Phillies. Mr. Bryce Harper his 29th home run season. Then from there, bullpen did their job. Brent Suter gives you a third of an inning scoreless. Aaron Ashby winds up going two scoreless. Brad Boxberger, a scoreless setting. Devin Williams, he provides a scoreless setting. And then Josh Hader scores a scoreless setting for his 30th save of the season. And then for the offense, Eduardo Escobar wound up having the big go at it. He winds up getting his 25th home run season that comes off of Connor Brogdon. Gives up that solo run over the course of one and a third innings. And Kyle Gibson, not sharp in this one. Away from Philadelphia and... Arlington, he's got an ERA hovering right around a 4-8 this year. Gives up three runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Jose Alvarado and Sam Coonrod were both able to give you a scoreless inning, but not a lot doing after Peralta got out of this game. A lot doing for the San Francisco Giants late, though. 7-4, they wind up taking down the Colorado Rockies as they become the first team in the league to 90 wins. And for the Giants, they do it by putting up a four spot in the ninth inning. They were once down in this game by a count of 3-0, to zero, but they were able to rally back. Brandon Crawford was able to belt his 20th home run season, and for Anthony DiScalfani, not his best start, giving up three runs over the course of four and a third innings, but Jarlene Garcia gave you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Zach Liddell does wind up giving up a solo home run to Mr. Elias Diaz of the Colorado Rockies, his 16th of the season, but then from there, Tony Watson, Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee, I'll give you scoreless innings, and for the Colorado Rockies, 55 shades of John Gray gives up three runs over the course of five innings, including that homer. Tyler Kinley, Lucas Gilbreth, Ulysses Jassim did their part. Scoreless innings from all of them. Yancey Almonte gave you an out of the bullpen, but 
Carlos Aceves winds up giving up those four runs in the ninth inning. So he winds up costing the Colorado Rockies. And for the Rockies, this was the first time that they lost three straight games at home since their first series of the season against the LA Dodgers as they are now 45-27 and at home. Meanwhile, for the Giants, they are now 45-27 and on the road. So they certainly have been able to get the job done there. The Seattle Mariners were also able to get the job done. They take down the Eastern Astros by a count of 8-5. to for the Mariners, no home runs in this one from the major guys as it was J.P. Crawford. Winds up going deep off of Blake Taylor. Seventh home run season as for Taylor. It did not wind up going well for he and Ryan Presley as they give up a combined four runs in the ninth inning that really gas can this one as the Seattle Mariners were down for much of this one, including down by a count of 42 going into the seventh inning. So give them some credit for clawing back. And for the Houston Astros, you were able to get a trio of home runs of this one. Michael Bregman, his ninth home run season. Jose Altuve was able to get his 27th home run of the season. And then you wind up getting the third home run of the season out of Mr. Marwin Gonzalez. As for the Seattle Mariners, this was not necessarily what you were hoping for out of Tyler Anderson, giving up four runs in four and two-thirds innings. First time since getting traded to Seattle that he gave up more than three runs at a start, but Casey Sadler gave you an out of the bullpen, and then Josh Smith, Anthony Machevich, Diego Garcia. I'll give you scoreless innings before Paul Sewell spent a little bit up and down recently, winds up giving up a run in his inning of work. The Texas Rangers have now won four straight games on the road after they entered into this streak with the worst road record in the big leagues. 8-5 to five the final. They take down the Arizona Diamondbacks. For Koji Ihara, nothing great, nothing terrible. Four and two-thirds innings. Winds up giving up two runs, including a homer in the process. Going deep off of him, Mr. David Peralta's eighth home run season. And then Nick Ahmad, a little bit later, will go deep off of Marcus Evans. His fifth of the season, as for Evans, gives up two runs at two-thirds of an inning. But Joe Barlow was able to get his fourth save of the season. Spencer Patton is able to give you a scoreless inning. Jarrell Cotton gives up a run in an inning. But Dennis Santana, Brett Martin, and Josh Horbich all combined to give you four outside the bullpen without giving up anything. Rangers go four of nine with men in scoring position. No home runs, but they certainly did a good job of getting to Luke Weaver, who gives up three runs over the course of five innings. Jake Ferrier from there. Two runs given up in two-thirds of an inning. Joe Manette typically was able to give you an out of the bullpen, but another failed starter, Taylor Widener. The experiment from him going from starter to reliever, going about as well as it is for all these guys. Terribly. Gives up three runs in a third of an inning. Miguel Aguiar was able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and then you wind up getting scoreless innings out of Brente guys. Along with Brandon Sittinger. That is a very unfortunate name for a guy that has not pitched very often. Sittinger. The Indians were all sitting on their hands in this one as they wind up losing to the Minnesota Twins by a count of 3 to 0. Joe Ryan wound up having a no hit bid. I believe going into the seventh inning. Goes seven strong. Gives up one in. Caleb Thielbar tied Duffy from there. They don't give up a hit or a run in their inning of relief. So, very dominant pitching performance from the Minnesota Twins. Miguel Sano. Don't you know he was able to get his 25th home run season? That comes off of Nick Wickren winds up giving up that solo run in his inning. Tristan McKenzie, a tough luck loser. Another pretty good start out of him. Goes six innings. Gives up one run in the process. He has now given up a combined three earned runs over the course of his last four starts and has given up a combined five runs in his last five. So, he has been dealing recently. Brian Shaw was able to give you an inning but gave up a run in the process. Justin Garza, a scoreless inning, but in this one for the Indians, just absolutely no offense whatsoever. Not a lot of offense for the Pittsburgh Pirates either. The Detroit Tigers take him down by a count of 5-1 to one as Matt Manning wound up being on a little bit of an innings limit as he winds going three innings, giving up one run. Drew Hutchinson from there gives you two scoreless innings. And then Jose Reina, Michael Fulmer, Gregory Soto, Greg Holland all come out of the bullpen for a scoreless inning. And Robbie Grossman 
was able to get his 22nd home run season. That comes off of Cody Ponsu, followed up a not-so-great Mitch Keller start. For Keller, he winds up giving up 10 hits and 5 innings, 4 runs in total. Ponce from there winds up giving up that home run over the course of 2 innings. Anthony Banda, Luis Oviedo, both give you a scoreless setting. And for the Pirates, 1 of 9 with men in scoring position. So, that was not good. This was not good for the New York Mets. 2-1. They wind up losing to the Miami Marlins as they go 0 of 6 with men in scoring position. Lone form of offense, Michael Conforto, 12th home run season. That comes off of Sandy Alcantara, who went 9 strong innings. He doesn't get credit for a complete game, though, because it went to extras. He punched out 14, giving up that solo home run. Anthony Bender from there goes a scoreless setting, and he winds up getting the win. Go figure for the Miami Marlins. They go just 2 of 9 with men in scoring position, but it was just enough as Rich Hill, he's a tough luck, no decision. I guess you could call it Holder as well. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. Jurisdiction Familia, Aaron Loop, Seth Lugo, I'll give you scoreless innings. And then Edwin Diaz comes in. He gives up the runner that starts on second and extra. So that was a little bit brutal. This was very brutal if you wound up having the Kansas City Royals. The Baltimore Orioles played a nine spot in the eighth inning as the Kansas City Royals to the poopy Baltimore Orioles lose by a count of nine to eight after they were leading five to zero going into the bottom of the eighth. Of all the big comebacks that we've seen in Major League Baseball, this has to be one of the biggest calamities that we've seen all year long, just given the competition, as Mike Miner was a major success in this one. Six scoreless innings. Joel Payampas from there, he goes an inning, he gives up three runs. Josh Samout gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of a third of an inning, and Jake Preds, three unearned runs, as a pair of errors by Hunter Dozier and Carlos Santana wind up causing this team the game. By the way, we're going to go with the Royals with the New York Post play today, so that is going to be an adventure after I wind up putting in there that going into this game, they were in the top six in bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. Go flip and figure there. Good news is, Salvador Perez, he is just one home run away from tying Shelly Otani for the league lead. 42nd home run season, Andrew Benatendi is 13th, and for the Baltimore Orioles, they had just one home run in this big giant comeback that was off the bat of Mr. Ryan Castle, 26th home run season. For Matt Harvey, didn't have it in this one. Gives up four runs, three of which were earned in four and a third innings. Fernando Abad was not very Abad in this one. Lowered his ERA to a 675 with two scoreless innings. Marcos Teplan was able to give you two-thirds of an inning, giving up a run. You wind up having the win go to, of all guys, Manny Bareda, who winds up giving you a scoreless inning. Dylan Tate winds up giving up three runs in two-thirds of an inning in relief. And somehow, someway, you were able to have Tyler Wells come in and save the game for the Baltimore Orioles. So that was just utterly hilarious, to say the least. What was not hilarious is that my New York Post pick went down the... New York Yankees lose to the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 6-3. And for the Yankees, they have exceeded four runs in just one of their games so far this month. Luis Eel winds up giving up three runs on one hit in three and a third innings. You're probably wondering why this is. He also got six strikeouts. Walked seven guys. So the command was out there in total. The Yankees wound up walking 11. And Aroldis Chapman, he would give up a home run in this one. And for Aroldis Chapman, over the course of his last 23 and two-thirds innings, his ERA is north of seven. He's given up north of nine walks per nine innings. And he's given up seven bombs as going deep. Flagero Jr., he's in the home run race. 41st home run season. Alec Manoa, you know what? Wasn't great, wasn't terrible. Gives up three runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Brett Gardner took him deep his seventh home run season. And for the Yankees, prior to that home run by Gardner, they had one run over the course of their last 25 innings. So 
that was not too great. And then from there, the Yankees' bullpen wasn't necessarily too bad, but they were just scattering runs. Chapman gave up his home run in two-thirds of an inning. Wandy Peralta gave you an out of the bullpen. Lucas Lukey, one and two-thirds inning scoreless. Jolie Rodriguez gives you a scoreless inning. And then Clay Holmes, Shag Green, both give you an inning, giving up a run. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, bullpen did the job in this one. Trevor Richards, Jordan Romano, both give you a scoreless inning. And Adam Simber, one and a third inning scoreless. This was a little bit strange as well. The Tampa Bay Rays lost. That's not supposed to happen. 2-1 to one the final. The Boston Red Sox wound up getting the W. Shane McClanahan was clearly on some sort of a pitch count or something. Five scoreless innings and was pulled with 68 pitches. From there, Andrew Kittrich, a scoreless inning. Pete Fairbanks, a scoreless inning. Matt Weisler, just off the injured list, gives up a run and does not record an out. And JT Jargois winds up giving up a home run that wound up pretty much costing the team the game as going deep. Hunter Renfro, his 27th home run season. Nathan Eovaldi was absolutely dynamite in this one. Seven scoreless innings. Josh Taylor gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning out of the bullpen. But Garrett Richards, he was able to give you a third of an inning scoreless in. And so Robles got a save. He's got an ERA that's hovering right around seven ever since he joined Boston, but he was able to do a solid job there. And for Wander Franco, he was able to reach base in this one. So his on-base streak is now at 37. So give him some credit. Give the Washington Nationals bullpen credit. They had to get 26 outs in this game, and they did it. 4-2 the final. Sean Nolan was ejected from this game, throwing at Freddie Freeman after a third of an inning. So... From there, you wind up having the wholesale approach. Andres Machado winds up giving up a solo run, and Austin both does as well. Both went one and two-thirds innings. For Machado, he gave you one inning going deep. For the Atlanta Braves, Adam Duvall, 33rd home run season, and Eddie Rosario was ninth, but everyone else was flawless in this one. Kyle Finnegan has scoreless inning. You wind up having Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks, give you four outs without giving up a run. Mason Thompson has scoreless inning, and then Patrick Murphy was, I guess, the bulk guy with two and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball. And for the Washington Nationals, they both got a pair of home runs. And Josh Bell and Juan Soto. Both of them get their 25th home run of the season. One of them comes off of Tuki Toussaint, who gives up a home run. Four walks in total over the course of three innings. And the Braves, by the way, had won each out of the last six times that Toussaint had towed the mound prior to this one. A.J. Mitchell, two scoreless innings. Jacob Webb gives you a scoreless inning. You wind up getting a scoreless inning out of Edgar Santana as well. But Drew Smiley, he's now coming out of the bullpen, gives up a run in an inning. And Richard Rodriguez gave up one of those bombs in his inning as well. So not necessarily great there. This is not great if you're a fan of the Cincinnati Reds. They are fighting themselves now a game back in the wild card hunt after they lose to the Chicago Cubs by a count of 4-1. And by the way, the Padres wound up winning. We're going to get to that in a second. But for the Reds, no offense whatsoever in this one. Vladimir Gutierrez, a solid start, giving up a solo home run over the course of his five innings. Going deep for the Chicago Cubs, Ian App. His 21st home run season, and he's got a double-digit amount of homers ever since the beginning of the month of August. He's heated up in a big way. Jason Award, he would go deep for a three-run homer in the 10th to walk it off off of Brad Brock, his eighth home run season. Brock was Brock and rolled, did not get a single out, gives up three runs, two of which were He has come off the injury list, and he has stunk. Tony Santian was able to give you two scoreless settings out of the bullpen. Michael Givens, Luis Sessa both give you a scoreless setting before the Cubs. A very good start out of Alec Mills giving up a solo home run over the course of his six settings going deep for the Cincinnati Reds. Joey Votto is 29th home run season. He leads the National League in home runs since the All-Star break. And then Cody Hoyer and Rowan Wick both able to give you two scoreless settings to be able to get this one home. And the San Diego Padres were able to get one home. They wind up taking down the LA Angels by a count of 8-5. to five. And for the Angels, this is a classic bullpen game for them. Mike Myers, this was not funny. He gave up two runs over the course of one in the third innings. Sam Selman got as many outs as myself and gave up three runs. Jake Patrika, third of an inning, gives up three runs. Guys would settle down from there. Jose Quijada was able to combine with Oliver Ortega for three scoreless innings. Andrew Wants, I bet you want more of this. A scoreless inning and Junior Guerra, two scoreless innings. And for the Angels, a pair of home runs. 
Joe Adele set fire to the rain. His fourth home run season that comes off of Danny Hudson and Denelson Lament gives one up to Juan Lagares. His fifth home run season for the Padres. They've been league average with regards to their bullpen ERA ever since the beginning of the month of August. Prior to that, they were number one in terms of bullpen ERA, but the good news is you Darvish, who ever since the beginning of the month of July has been a mess. and given up four plus runs and four out of his last five starts. Gives up one run over the course of six innings. From there, Lamette not looking good in relief. Gives up one of those home runs in his inning. You wind up having Tim L give up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Danny Hudson got an out but gave up a home run in the process. But Mark Melanson was able to get his league-leading 38th save of the season as he was able to hurl a scoreless inning. And things that make you hurl. For one, if you wound up having the Kansas City Royals yesterday. And two, if you're blindly taking overs as the under has a nice lead on the over for the year. 1,600 to 981 overs. So... 50.6% of games have gone under this season. Favorites are hitting at a rate of 59.5% as they've actually dried up a little bit recently. 1,227 and 836 home teams overall this year. 1,131 and 953, so they're winning at a rate of 54.3%. If you're looking over the last seven days, unders, 47 of them. Overs, 45 of them. Favorites in this time span, 50 and 43, so only hitting at a rate of 53.8% in home teams. They are 47 and 49, so they've actually got a losing record if you look over the last 30 days. It's been pretty even, Steven. 207 and 202 is a record of home teams. Favorites in this time span, hitting at 60.9%, 246 and 158. And if you're looking at unders in this time span, it's going well for you. 210 unders, 176 overs. So that's what we wound up seeing in baseball on Wednesday, and that's what we're all seeing from a trend standpoint. Now let's take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's take a look at the National League playoff picture. To do that, we bring in Dario Melendez of Bali Sports, Wisconsin. We're going to be joined by him next, right here on the Baseball Winning Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to have on this guest as he does terrific work with Bali Sports Wisconsin. He does most of his work with the Milwaukee Brewers and the Milwaukee Bucks doing some reporting, does some hosting pre and post game for them. He is a man that is out there in the great city of Milwaukee as it is Dario Melendez joining me on the podcast. You're able to follow him at easy enough his name. Dario underscore Melendez. Last name is spelled M-E-L-E-N-D-E-Z. And Dario, great to have you aboard. Thank you. No, thanks so much, Greg. Appreciate it. I appreciate you joining me. And being someone that is from the great state of Wisconsin, I can appreciate what the Milwaukee Brewers have been doing this year. We're doing this just before their Wednesday game against the Philadelphia Phillies. And what I'm noticing with the Milwaukee Brewers is that obviously we don't wind up knowing how Freddie Peralta wanted pitching on Wednesday at the time of this podcast, but even if they don't wind up having a fully healthy Freddie Peralta, I think that this team, if they wind up getting into a seven-game series, can have a little bit of faith in Eric Lauer. We wound up seeing him take the mound on Tuesday. He looked very good. This is someone that's given up three runs or fewer pretty much in all of his starts ever since the summer wound up beginning, and this is a Brewers bunch of which the offense has really come and go gone, but this pitching, especially with Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and one healthy Freddie Peralta at the top, has been second to really none, maybe the L.A. Dodgers just all season long. Adrian Hauser, don't forget about him. I mean, Adrian Absolutely. Hauser, you talk to Chris Hook and the rest of the developmental staff here at the Brewers. I mean, they say he has the best stuff. We saw that his last outing when he threw the first complete game shutout for the Brewers since, what, Kyle Loesch back in 2014. So, I mean, Adrian Hauser, 
Eric Lauer. I mean, I think Freddie Peralta will be just fine. His first game back, he had to kick off some rust a little bit, but we'll see a little bit more against the Phillies team that has the Brewers number this season. But man, this team has been so good. And since May 22nd, we call it Willie Adamas Day here in Milwaukee when the Brewers acquired Willie Adamas, got him on the field. The offense has just been stellar. I mean, you look since the end of June, the offense is top three in pretty much every offensive category in baseball, and the the pitching's top two going head-to-head with the Dodgers as well. So you don't ever want to get ahead of yourself and put the cart before the horse, but we already had one parade here in Milwaukee with the Bucks, and knock on wood, (laughs) this thing continues. We might be having another one soon. That would be absolutely stellar. And in your opinion, if the season were to end today, who would wind up getting that number four spot in the rotation between Lauer along with Adrian Hauser? Because you point out that complete game shutout, and it had been a really long time since the Milwaukee Brewers had one because both of these guys have been relatively stellar. And you've got to figure that whichever one of these guys would not wind up being in the starting rotation, they would probably be like that super utility man. If someone winds up having a bad start, maybe you throw them out there be able to eat some innings, but I think that that's a real question that the Brewers have at this point because Lauer and Hauser have both shown some very good signs this year. I think both of them, to be honest. Craig Council has shown that he has no problem piggybacking guys, so depending on how the first three games of a series would go, if Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff can go six to seven innings, then it wouldn't surprise me if you have a combination of Lauer and Hauser as dual starters in a game four, where if it's a Lineup that favors lefties, you throw Lauer. If it's the lineup that favors righties, you throw Hauser to combat each one. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if you can get through those first three games relatively unscathed. First off, you'd probably sweep a five-game series. But if you're in that seven-game series, it would not surprise me at all. We've seen this already where Hauser and Lauer would piggyback either one or two. So, Yep, that is something that should be looked at as well, as we know the Milwaukee Brewers as well. When you've got Devin Williams and Josh Hader in the eighth and ninth inning, you're set up for success there as well. And you're always set up for success on a podcast when you've got Dario Melendez, and he is joining me right now. And when you take a look at this National League playoff picture, no question, the Milwaukee Brewers are going to be able to avoid the wild card because they are right now running away with the National League Central. But what I do think is really fascinating is who they might wind up playing in round one because it looks like it's going to be the winner of that National League West that winds up getting the number one overall seed, whether that be the San Francisco Giants or the LA Dodgers, which that's probably going to set up a really fascinating series with whoever winds up winning that wild card. But that likely means that when it comes to the Milwaukee Brewers, they're probably going to be setting themselves up with a matchup with whoever winds up winning the National League East. That would probably be the Atlanta Braves at this point. But as we know, the Philadelphia Phillies, who the Brewers wound up seeing on Wednesday, they are hot on the Atlanta Braves' heels as well. I think that that would set up for something very fascinating as well because when it comes to these teams that are going to be able to make the postseason, whether it be the Giants, the Dodgers, the Atlanta Braves, all these teams have pretty stellar offenses. And when it comes to the starting staffs, out of all of them, I would say the Atlanta Braves is the one that's a little bit most vulnerable, though we have seen a guy like a Charlie Morton be very good on the road. And I do think that this would actually be a very good road for the Brewers to be able to make a National League Championship Series and perhaps be able to win the World Series. Because if you're able to avoid both the San Francisco Giants and the LA Dodgers in the first round of the postseason. I think that that's going to be very good. And if it would wind up being, say, Giants versus Dodgers, because one of those teams is going to wind up in the wild card and whoever winds up there, I think, is going to be able to win it. That certainly would knock out one of the biggest forces, in my opinion, to be able to win the whole thing. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, nothing against the Braves, but I totally agree with you. 
I think the Braves are probably the team that scares you the least. At this point, you don't want to face the Phillies with the way Nola's pitching and Wheeler's pitching. They're really dangerous, especially with that offense, and the Brewers only have one win against them this season. I think they're one in six altogether, where when you look at that NL West, you want those guys to beat up on each other. So if you can get the Padres and Dodgers to beat up on each other in the wild card game, and the Giants and Dodgers to beat up each other in the uh, NLDS. It sets up really well for the Brewers. And you got to remember, the Brewers have just owned the NL West this year. They're 23-9. and They won their series against the Padres. They are leading their series against the Dodgers. They won their series against the Giants. So, yes, those are some of the best teams in baseball. But the Brewers have shown that they can win on the road. They can win at home. They can hang with those teams. Where when you look at the Braves, I mean, outside of Charlie Morton, there's not much there that really gives you the trembles when it comes to their pitching staff, their offense, the addition of Jorge Soler has been really impressive. I mean, that offense is really good, but I'll take good pitching over good offense all day, every day. So, I mean, that's definitely the way you wanted to set up. You want the Brewers to probably lock up that two seed, hopefully get the Braves and then see what happens in that wild card. And then the NLDS between the giants or Dodgers or whoever, because you never know. Baseball could be funny. Maybe someone goes down with a freak injury. Maybe someone gets beat up. Fatigue starts to set in, and it just leads a nice little path for the Brewers of the World Series. No question. I think that we're both in agreement. One of the Dodgers or the Giants will be able to make the postseason, as the Giants just wound up doing it again yesterday with a big comeback over the Colorado Rockies. They made control of that National League West with the Dodgers very close behind as the Dodgers they were able to beat up on the St. Louis Cardinals over the last few days, so that puts them a little bit more in flux when it comes to that second wild card. And as we're doing this podcast, going into Wednesday evening, it was the Padres and the Reds that were tied for that second wild card spot. And I know you've had a chance to see both of these teams, the Reds a little bit more so than the San Diego Padres because they're out there in the NL Central. But I take a look at this race and I give a little bit of an edge right now to the Cincinnati Reds just because when you take a look at this Padres team, they have used their bullpen for the most innings in all of the National League, which I think is going to wind up biting them in the butt when it's all said and done. And you just take a look at these comparative schedules for the Padres. They have to play against the Dodgers, the Giants, both on the road, and then they have to go on the road against a pesky St. Louis Cardinals team, and then they wind up playing against the Giants, then they wind up playing the Atlanta Braves. I think I see here that the LA Lakers are going to be in town as well. It's just absolutely insane what they're going to have to be going up against for the back half of the season. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds. They're going to be playing against teams like the Pirates. I recognize that they've got quite a few games left with the St. Louis Cardinals as well, but I take a look at this Reds bunch, and they have been a pesky team all season long, and I think that even without Jesse Winker, this is still one of the better offenses that you're going to find in baseball, and I like the additions they made at the trade deadline to be able to bolster that bullpen. Yeah, look, the Reds, they're really annoying. <laughs> really all you could say. Luis Castillo has rebounded very nicely from a horrendous start to the season, and he is just filthy. Sonny Gray is obviously really good. The former Brewer Wade Miley has done a really good job reuniting with Derek Johnson down in Cincinnati. And the offense led by Nick Castellanos is always going to be solid. Again, their biggest question mark, even with some of the additions of the bullpen, is that bullpen. That bullpen has been bad all year long. And at least against the Brewers since we've seen them, they've continued to be rough. That said, when you look at the Padres' schedule, as you mentioned, compared to the Reds' schedule, who have the Cubs, a couple against the Cardinals, six against the Pirates, but you have a little bit of a Dodger series in there. Then you have the Nationals, and then you end up with the White Sox. It's a lot easier, especially with you would thinking the White Sox might be trying to set up for the postseason by the time they play them. You would think the path is a little bit easier for this Reds' team than the Padres' team. And look, put the Padres on the wild card. 
I mean, see what happens. Maybe they get lucky. You throw Castillo, who is one of the best fastball changeup combinations in baseball, and they can might be able to have a puncher's chance in a one-game playoff against the Dodgers. I mean, best-case scenario, they take out the Dodgers, then they lose to the Giants, or even if they beat the Giants, still sets up well for the Brewers. But, yeah, I, I tend to agree that the path for the Reds to get there is a little bit better, and that is going to be a big kick in the no-no spot to the Padres, who went all out <laughs> in the offseason, all out the trade deadline, and aren't even going to make the postseason. Still starting to me, too, that going into Wednesday evening's game, the San Diego Padres since the beginning of the month of August, the fewest runs per game of any team out there in the National League. This team is just completely lost at this point. So it has been very fascinating to take a look at that. It's also interesting to take a look at what we're going to be getting over the weekend with the Milwaukee Brewers as well, because they're going to have an off day on Thursday. And then starting on Friday, they're going to be beginning their tour of interleague series. They're going to be playing against the Cleveland Indians this weekend. And then early next week, they're going to be playing against the Detroit Tigers. And I do think that this is a good swing for the Milwaukee Brewers. They obviously shook out, in my opinion, pretty well when it came to interleague series. They played quite a bit against the Minnesota Twins, as they do every single year, playing against the Indians and the Tigers. Certainly not a murderer's row, though obviously the Tigers have played a little bit better towards the back half of the season. But I do take a look at the start of that Friday series with Adrian Hauser going on the mound, a guy that you've talked about quite a bit on this podcast. And I think that this is going to be an important start for him because we do remember that towards the beginning of the month of August, he spent a little bit of time on the injured list. The last time he wound up hitting the road, that was against the Twins, who was the last interleague team that the Brewers wound up playing against. Got a little bit rocked there. And I do think that it is important that he comes out with a good start for the Brewers, just because we have noticed with quite a few just teams in general in Major League Baseball, they have been very inconsistent home to road. The Brewers have been, in my opinion, one of the best teams on the road in all of baseball, 46 and 24 overall on the road, which I believe is the best record in the big leagues. But yeah, I do think that it is important that Hauser comes out, gives a good start here because the last time we saw him on the road coming off the injured list, it wasn't necessarily the best goal of it for him. Yeah, on the road doesn't scare this Brewers team. Obviously, they have a better road record this year than they do a home record. They're one win shy on the road from tying a franchise record set back in 1982, which, by the way, was the last time the Brewers went to the World Series. Wink, wink. It's been weird, though. There's something about interleague play that the Brewers just struggle with. Remember, they got swept in their season series by the Kansas City Royals, not what you call a good team. They lost their season series to the Twins, not what you call a good team. Right now, they're 5-10 and 10 in interleague play. Now you have five coming up. So even though Cleveland's not a powerhouse, Detroit's not a powerhouse, there's just something about philosophies between American League and National League that doesn't set up well for the Brewers. So I think you hit the nail on the head again. It's going to be really important for Adrian Hauser to set the tone, build off his last outing where he was just spectacular, throwing that complete game shutout, and just sticking with who he is. He is a ground ball pitcher. Everybody wants to fall in love with the strikeout because it's really sexy. It's what everybody talks about. But my co-host, Tim Dillard, says he is a nice combination between Bruce Willis and Wesley Snipes. He's an action guy. (laughs) So when you're a defensive player, you know you're going to get a lot of action behind Adrian Hauser. You don't have to get the strikeout. Just get the ground ball. He has one of the best sinkers in the game. He has one of the best ground ball percentages in the game as well. So for Adrian Hauser, the plan is simple. Keep the ball low. Get the ball on the ground. Even if you give up a hit, Stick to your plan. You're doing everything well. And that's what he's been doing the past couple outings. Because in the beginning of the season, he'd give up that one hit and like change his entire approach. Uh Uh-oh, they got me. They know what I'm doing. No, just keep doing what you're doing. Stay consistent. Get that ground ball. You don't need to get the strikeout. Now he's kind of got that change up and the curveball going a little bit. But that power sinker is one of the best pitches in baseball. And it's inducing so many ground balls. That is the key to success for Adrian Hauser. Keep that sinker down. 
keep it away to lefties, keep it in on righties, and you're all good. Yep, and I did mention it with the Milwaukee Brewers. Best road record in the big leagues right now. They certainly had a lot of success, but as we know, a lot of the teams, especially out there in the National League, they have been struggling on the road. We're taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, the team that the Milwaukee Brewers wound up playing on Wednesday. They entered into Wednesday 32-39 and 39 on the road. Meanwhile, 39-28 and 28 at home. The New York Mets, a team that is battling out there in the NL East, 41-27 and 27 at home, 29-42 and 42 on the road. You're even able to take a look at one of these teams as in playoff contention in the Padres, 30-34 and 34 on the road. 43 and 31 at home. List goes on and on. Don't even get started with the Colorado Rockies, who have 50 losses on the road and 45 wins at home, which is just absolutely insane. And what do you wind up attributing this to? Because the Brewers have been one of the very few teams in the major leagues, sands like the Tampa Bay Rays and to a lesser extent the New York Yankees, that they've really been prone to not having these letdowns on the road because we've just seen it all year long in Major League Baseball, even with a lot of these stands not being at full capacity, teams have had a really tough time in the road. Pitching is just like the saying in football. Defense travels, so does pitching. This pitching staff has been phenomenal. When you have the back end of a bullpen that is Boxberger, Williams, and Hayter, all the starter has to do is go six innings, and the game's over pretty much. The Brewers' record when they lead after eight innings is 66-1. and one. When they leave after seven innings, it's 63-3. and three. Like, that is just mind-boggling. All these Brewers starters have to do is empty the tank through six, which we've seen them do that multiple times, six, seven innings now, and the back end of Boxberger, Williams, and Hayter shuts the door. Oh, and by the way, David Stearns and Matt Arnold, the president and GM, went out and found guys like Jake Cousins in independent ball last year, who has been phenomenal. Adrian Sanchez, who has been phenomenal. Gustavi, who's been phenomenal. Brent Suter, who's been great. I mean, everything these guys touch, especially in the bullpen and this pitching staff, turns to gold. The bullpen has been one of the strengths of this team. The starting staff has been one of the strengths of this team. And that is exactly why when they go on the road, everything's fine. Because all the Brewers, their magic number is four. If they get to four runs, they pretty much win because of the starting snap and this bullpen. What's their record? Their record when they get to four runs or more is 71-15. and 71-15 and 15 when they score four runs, which is lower than league average. So that's the magic number. The biggest reason why they have so much success when they score four runs and they have so much success when they're on the road is because of the starting staff and this bullpen. So that's why they've had success. Pitching travels, and the Brewers have shown that. And you mentioned Brent Suter. 12-5 and five so far this year. Not the bad vulture. for a guy that the is vulture. coming. It's just a guy coming out of the bullpen doing his part, and I'm glad that you brought up Jake Cousins as well. Sub-2 ERA certainly has been locking it down for the Milwaukee Brewers and a guy that is always locking it down over there at Bali Sports does a terrific job, mostly with the Milwaukee Brewers, along with the Milwaukee Bucks. That'd be you, Dario. I know that you do a wide variety of things. You do some reporting. I know that you're out there in the studio doing some pre- and post-game as well. list goes on and on. I know that you've got quite a few features over there at Bali Sports as well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, again, right now it is Brewers heavy, and it's crazy to think hopefully this is a long Brewers run. And as soon as it's over, I mean, Bucks defend their championship starting, what, October 19th at home in the ring ceremony against the Nets. It has been a lot of fun here in Milwaukee with these two teams. And don't forget the Packers have that guy Aaron Rodgers back. Mm -hmm. Packers are pretty good at football as well. So it is really becoming Milwaukee win constant here. It's glorious. It's the golden ages for sports here in Wisconsin. It's been great. Trust me, someone who was born and raised in the state of Wisconsin, someone that went to college in the state of Wisconsin, I am absolutely loving what we are seeing. Hopefully the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that 
not just because I'm from the state, but just because of the pitching that we've talked about in this interview, I think is going to be able to make a deep run in the postseason. And I, and I know that Dario is going to be there every step of the way to be able to cover it. So big thanks to Dario Melendez of Volley Sports out there in the great state of Wisconsin for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. And a little something like call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to get some Wisconsin sports talk on this podcast as Dario Melendez doing absolutely terrific work covering the Milwaukee Brewers and the Milwaukee Bucks for Bali Sports. And you know what? I think it might be a special year for the Milwaukee Brewers. We're going to be looking at this game by game as the postseason goes along, but certainly a pleasure to be able to get him aboard. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. And a little something like call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation or this is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games and any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. We've got one little bit of a TBD that would be with the first game that we're going to be hitting with the Dodgers versus the St. Louis Cardinals, but past that we've got pretty set pitching matchups as we do lead off with that first game 951-952 as you do have the Dodgers hitting the road face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. As of right now, ESPN has Jake Woodford going for the Cardinals and Julio Arias going for the Dodgers, but this is one in which most books have been hesitant to put up a line. We're seeing a couple initial lines with the Dodgers right around minus 190, and you're seeing the Cardinals right around a plus 175 with a total of 8.5 with the juice ranging all over the place. On the 8.5, we're seeing the under anywhere between minus 115 and plus 105, and the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 125, but I did set a line as if we are going to be getting Mr. Arias versus Mr. Jake Woodford, and this is a spot in which I want to make the Dodgers a minus 221 favorite with a total of 8.8. So an 8.5 or lower will be taking a look at the over and a 9 or higher will be taking a look at the under. You take a look at Julio Arias and his last 35 starts. Only 8 of them have wound up going under but he is 16-3. and three. He has been able to do his best work on the road all season. 264 road ERA and a 12-2 and two record in 16 starts. He's 4-1 and one with a 378 ERA in LA this year but his home runs per 9 rate on the road just below 1. A 1.8 walks per 9 inning so this guy's been dealing. Opponents are a 213 off of him. And then he's going up against a gentleman in Woodford who wanted making his last start on July 31st. So certainly a case in which he hasn't necessarily had a lot of starting experience. Now, he did wind up making a super long relief appearance on Saturday against the Milwaukee Brewers on the 4th. So you do have that to you at your disposal. But you take a look at Woodford overall for this season. He's only made three starts, 21 total appearances. Has been used in some long relief. But overall, giving up 1.4 home runs per nine innings. Right around 3.4-ish walks per nine. Has a little bit of start his experience, but has actually been worse at home than on the road. A 529 home ERA in only eight appearances, 17 total innings. It's given up three home runs and eight walks. And now he has to phase off against an LA Dodgers team that, well, their lineup is pretty darn good. You take a look at what they wound up trotting out there on Wednesday, and you wound up having two position players 
hitting below 8.255. That'd be Albert Pools, who has actually been able to get quite a few home runs, and well, he's back in St. Louis, and Cody Bellinger. So you've got all that going on. Justin Turner down for what? Trey Turner down for what? Mookie Betts, Max Muncie, Will Smith, Chris Taylor, all these guys. 19 plus home runs. Then you've got the St. Louis Cardinals team, which you do have quite a few guys that are getting on base for you. Lars Nutabar and Harrison Metering between a 240 and 250. Then you've got Nolan Arenado along the Adier Molina, both hitting about a 250 to a 260. And with Arenado, he's been able to do a good job of going deep. He's got 29 home runs. Then guys like Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, who I know is a little bit banged up, Tommy O'Neill, Umando Sosa. These guys are in more between a 265 and even as high as a 280. But how about Paul Goldschmidt? Ever since the beginning of the month of July, he's hitting about a 335. He's been able to give this team a double-digit amount of homers in that time as well. So that has been very beneficial for the team. But with the St. Louis Cardinals, Genesis Cabrera, ever since the beginning of the month of July, a north of 6 ERA. Luis Garcia has been able to give you some good innings. CJ McFarland as well. But Alex Reyes has become unreliable for this team. Cody Whitley is someone that I don't have a lot of faith in either. And then for the Dodgers, this team has the best ERA in the big league ever since the beginning of the month of August, so they have been able to do a good job with that regard, and it's not necessarily household names. Rosuto Gradral is back in full force. He wound up having a very shaky start to the year, but ever since the beginning of the month of August, he's got his ERA hovering more around about a 2-9-ish. Corey Knable's been able to give this team some good innings. Even guys like Alex Vesia and Phil Bickford have been able to step up, so I did take a look at this spot. I do think that the Dodgers should be a very sizable favorite. If you're looking at them on the run line right now, seeing that right around a minus 120, I certainly would be willing to lay that. I've got them more like a minus 140. And like I said, at this 8.5 that we're seeing right now, I'd be looking at the over. If we get to a 9, then I'd start to look at an under. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board. The New York Metropolitans at the road to face off against the Miami Marlins. Jesus Lazardo is going to be going for the fish. Marcus Roman is going to be on the bump for the Mets. And the Mets are finding themselves between minus 155 and minus 165 favorites. Plus price with the fishies. Any routine plus 135 and plus 152. 7.5 to 8 is your total on the 7.5. Over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. On the 8, under is between minus 110 and minus 120. Over is between even and minus 110. With Lazardo, it has been very turbulent for him, to say the least. He's given up at least three runs in all but one of his starts as a member of the Miami Marlins. Has a 3-3 three three record, but since coming over to Miami, a 7-1-5 ERA, he is giving up on a home runs per nine rate, about 1.6 of them. His walks per nine, that has went very much sky high, north of five. And then you've got a guy, Marcus Stroman, that has been able to do his best work on the road. He certainly deserves better than his 9-12 and 12 record. 296 home ERA, a 291 road ERA. Has given up 10 home runs at 89 and two-thirds innings on the road compared to 4-67 and 67 at home. But opponents starting at 224 off of him on the road. Not necessarily the world's greatest swing and miss guy, but still getting right around 8 strikeouts per 9 innings. Then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. And to say that this team doesn't have necessarily a lot of mashers would be very generous. They've been without Asus Aguiar the last few days. He's the only guy in this roster that is north of 45 RBI, but you do have a couple guys that are able to get on for you, like a Brian De La Cruz, who is hitting above a 330. Miguel Roas is hitting a 275. Then you do have Austin Jackson... Izan Diaz, Lewin Diaz, all hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. I have a couple guys in between about a 230 to a 240. Brian Anderson, whenever he's been out there, has been solid, but he's injured once again. Asu Sanchez, Jorge Alfaro, these guys are in between about a 230 to a 240. Then you do have Jazz Chislam. He has been able to do a good job. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of formers. He's hitting right around 255. And then you take a look at the New York Mets, and you really have two guys in the middle of the lineup. They're doing a good job of being able to slug out bombs. Javi Baez along with Pete Alonso. He combined 60 home runs between these 
two going into their game yesterday with Baez along with Pete Alonso, Jonathan VR, only between about a 252 to a 270 as well, but you need more out of Francisco Lindor, Michael Conforto, and Kevin Pillar. Only between about a 222 to 230, James McCann. It's not necessarily been able to find it this year. 240 batting average. And both of these bullpens have been very solid. The teams were able to get good starts at both Sandy Alcantara along with Rich Hill yesterday, so they're going to be in good shape for this one with the Marlins. You've been able to get some good innings all year long out of Anthony Bender has got a sub-3 ERA. Richard Blyer has his ERA hovering right around 3-5. You've been able to have Stephen O'Kurt step up as well. Then you take a look at the Mets and Aaron Loop still has a sub-2 ERA. He has been absolutely tremendous for this team. They're kicking the tires on Brad Hand and Heath Embry trying to get a little bit of something out of them. South Lugo, a sub-2-5 ERA ever since the beginning of the month of August as well. So I do think that you're going to be able to get some good relief pitching and no doubt Marcus Stroman I think has the upper hand but Jesus Cesardo still does have some upside in my opinion and I do think that this is a spot in which we're going to see a couple of runs. I'm going to be setting the solo April 1, so I'm going to be taking this total over with the Miami Marlins. I needed at least a plus 148 to be able to take a shot there with that plus 152. We got there. So, going to be taking the fish, and I'm going to be taking this total over. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. The Colorado Rockies hit the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Ranger Suarez is going to be going for the Phils. Antonio Sensatella is going to be going for the Rockies. Toronto's game is 8.5. Overs between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders between even and minus 105. Phillies are big favorites of anywhere between minus 175 and minus 182 plus price with the Rockies. Anywhere between plus 155 and plus 170 for Antonio Sensatella. He has been able to do a good job of being able to put it together recently. He wound up having a little bit of a rocky start to begin the year for the Rockies and well, Colorado's coming off their first three-game sweep at home all season long, but you take a look at Sensatella and he's really been able to do a good job. Three runs are fewer in each out of his last five starts going six plus innings in all of them. The team is 3-1 and one in his last four starts, so that is something that you do like to see. He wound up having a very rough start to begin the year on the road. He seems to be braining it in a little bit more as he has given up three runs or fewer in now five out of his last seven road starts and no more than four in any of them, though. He still does have a little bit of a home and road split. One and six on the road so far this year, 456 ERA, but has only been taken deep five times in 53 and a third innings on the road as well. He's facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies team that they do have to do a little bit of travel, so that's going to hurt them a tad, but Ranger Suarez, how about what he has been able to do so far this year. You take a look at him in his last five starts and he has given up more than one run in just one of them. He wound up beginning his season out of the bullpen. Has been magnificent out of the bullpen. Has been magnificent as a starter. His strikeouts per nine rate is hovering right around nine but what has been really impressive. Three home runs given up over the course of 72 innings and this is a Philadelphia Phillies team that they've really got Bryce Harper working. Double digit amount of home runs ever since the beginning of the month of August. 29 in total so far this year. 413 on base. Gene Segura is hitting about a 295. Need a little bit more out of D.D. Gregorius and Brad Miller. These guys are in between about a 222 to 230 along with Andrew McCutcheon. But for McCutcheon, wound up getting the day off yesterday. 24 home runs, more like a 340 on base. Odubo Herrera, Ronald Torres, you're able to throw in there. JT Mito, all in between about a 255 to 265 as well. Travis Janikowski is giving you a tad bit of something for the Phillies. The big thing with this team, the bullpen. And Yandy Los Santos, someone that I really don't have a lot of faith in. They're kicking the tires on Cam Bedros and Bailey Falter has certainly had his falters ever since coming over to the Philadelphia Phillies. Ian Kennedy has been far from what he was with the Texas Rangers, posting up right around a 485 ERA going into yesterday. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Rockies, and Daniel Bard at home has about a 3 ERA. On the road, it's more like a 10. Carlos Estevez wound up gas canning the game yesterday. You've got a lot of guys in this bullpen that you don't have a lot of faith in, and for the Rockies, they've just got such stark home-to-road splits when it comes to the bats as well. They are dead last 
in the big leagues when it comes to batting average away from home. As as a collective at home, they hit north of a 280 on the road. It is a 211. And this team, I believe, is second to last when it comes to home runs on the road. 59 home runs in 68 games has been a little bit tough for them. Though I will say, C.J. Crone wound up entering into the last road swing with just four home runs on the road this year. He wound up having four in their last road swing. So that is something that is certainly good. But Trevor Story, someone that overall for the year is hitting about a 250. He's hitting a buck 98 on the road. Garrett Hampson, he's hitting a buck 67 on the road. And overall this year is hitting more like a 240. So you've got a lot of these examples. It's a situation in which the Rockies have been able to improve with regards to the road record. They started out 6-33 on the road this year, so there was no place to go but up, and I was willing to take the Rockies as long as I was really able to get north of a plus 168, seeing the plus 170. I'm going to fire away on that because Ranger Suarez is still getting a little bit more stretched out. I do like what I'm seeing out of Sensatella, so I want to sing this all at 8.3 as well, so take the under along with the Rockies. 957-958 on the bang board. The Atlanta Braves are going to be playing also the Washington Nationals. Eric Fetty Wap goes for the Nets. Uscotty Anoa is going to be going for the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are finding themselves as north of $2 favorites. And we're between minus 205 and minus 210. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Nationals, this is anywhere between plus 175 and plus 190. 9.5 to 10 is your total on the 9.5. Over and under are both at minus 110. On the 10, under is at minus 115 and the over is at minus 105. Eric Fetty has certainly had his ups and his downs so far this year, but I will say he's going to be backed up by a Washington Nationals team that has actually been relatively above average when it comes to the bats ever since the beginning of the month of July, so you do give some kudos there. Juan Soto has been able to do a very nice job for this team. He's got a north of 435 on base, hitting a 300. He and Josh Bell have both been able to supply between 23 and 25 home runs apiece, with Bell, he's hitting about a 250. Yadio Hernandez is hitting a 280. You need a little bit more of something out of Luis Garcia and Lane Thomas, but for Thomas, ever since he came over to Washington, he's hitting above a 300, so you do like to see that with a Mr. Fetty Wap himself. He's actually been a little bit better on the road than he has been at home. 540 home ERA, 516 road ERA. Giving up 8 home runs in both environments, but it's pitched 11 more innings on the road as well, so that is something that you do take a look at now for Fetty. The big thing with him is walks right around 3.5 walks per 9 innings, but then you take a look at Yanoa. This is going to be his fourth start since coming off the injured list, and it's been mixed results. He has won a grand total of 17 and 2 thirds innings ever since coming off the injured list, and his ERA is right around a 4-5. He's given up 2, 3, and 4 runs in his 3 starts ever since coming off the injured list. He's given up approximately 1 home run in every one of them, so he hasn't been great, but at the same time, he hasn't been terrible. He is backed up, though, by an Atlanta Braves team that you've got a whole lot of mashers on this team. They wound up picking up Adam Duvall, he, Ozzie Albies, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, all guys with at least 26 home runs so far this year, so it is very fearsome. When it comes to Ozzie Albies along Dansby Swanson, both of these guys hit between about a 255 to a 265. Riley and Freeman, both guys with north of a 375 on base. Ore Soler, he has been absolutely amazing for this team. Ever since the beginning of the month of July, he wound up having seven home runs entering into that month. He has hit 15 ever since then, so needless to say, he has gotten hot in a big way for this team. Catcher spot has been a little bit tough for them with Travis Arno dealing with injuries, but then you take a look at the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves, and it's been a little bit up and down. Tyler Mazik wound up getting touched up a few days ago, but he has been very solid ever since the beginning of the month of July. Will Smith is someone that likes to get a little bit jiggy with it, but he's been a little bit better recently as well. Jacob Webb is not someone that I have a lot of faith in, but Richard Rodriguez has been able to fortify him. For the Washington Nationals, you've got a couple guys that are able to have a little bit of faith in. Ryan Harper has been good for the team sub-3 ERA. Kyle Finnegan, he's got right around 2-8-ish ERA. Even someone like Mason Thompson, you're able to get some good innings out of, but Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. 
Well, this guy sucks. A 687 ERA, and the Nationals did not get the start that they were hoping for out of Sean Nolan as he wound up getting one out, so the bullpen is very much taxed, but I do take a look at this spot. I think that the Atlanta Braves should be a sizable favorite. I was willing to take the Nationals as long as I was getting north of a plus 195. Did not wind up getting there, so then you take a look at the run line. I'm seeing this mostly between a minus 110 to a minus 115 with the Atlanta Braves. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of higher scoring game. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 115 with the Braves, so I'm going to wind up taking them on the run line. Did wind up sending this all at a 9.4, so I'm going to wind up taking one of these 10 unders, and I'm going to be taking the Atlanta Braves on the run line. 959-960 on the betting board. The Oakland A's are going to be playing OC Chicago White Sox. Rinaldo Lopez is going to be going for the Sox. Sean is going to be on the bump for the Oakland A's. The A's are finding themselves as favorites between minus 128 and minus 131. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the plus price with the White Sox, it is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 121. Nine is your total. The over and the under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. For Lopez, he has given up more than one run in just two appearances so far this year, but the problem with Ronaldo Lopez is that he just hasn't necessarily lent a lot of length, and this is a White Sox bullpen that it has been used quite a bit recently, but I do think that Lopez is going to be able to come out. He's going to be able to give you a tad bit more of something. Has won at least four innings in four out of his last five appearances, and the team is 4-1 and one of those last five appearances as well. He's been able to do a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. He's given up four home runs and eight walks over the course of 39 innings, so he certainly has been able to do his part. And he's facing off against a guy in Sean Manea that he hasn't necessarily been great recently. You take a look at what he wound up doing in the month of August, posted up a 9.90 ERA, looked better in his last start against the Toronto Blue Jays, giving up two runs over the course of seven innings, and then from there, the game wound up turning into an absolute calamity, but certainly with Sean Manea, you do have some concerns with him, and he has actually been a little bit worse at home than he has been on the road. For Manea, a 4.15 home ERA, a 3.64 road ERA, giving up 14 home runs in 78 innings, 9 home runs given up in 71 and 2 thirds innings on the road, and opponents are about a 278 off of him when he's in Oakland. Now with the A's, you also do have a lineup that does a great job of being able to reach base. Josh Harrison, Starling Marte of the Marte Parte, Matt Olson, Tony Kemp, you're able to throw in there, Mark Canna. All these guys have been able to give you north of a 350 on base with Olsen, 32 home runs so far this year. Seth Brown, Mark Canna, both of these guys have been able to give you 16 home runs. And for Matt Chapman, a double-digit amount of home runs ever since the beginning of the month of August, right around a 360 on base in that time span as well. Jan Gomes hitting a 260 for this bunch. And for Starling Marte, his 43 stolen bases entering into the night on Wednesday leads the major league. So he's been able to do quite a bit of something. Then you take a look at the White Sox, and it is a little bit of a banged-up lineup, but at the same time, got a trio of guys in between about a 260 to 265. Yo Mancada, Jose Abreu, along with Luri Garcia with Abreu. 28 home runs, 103 RBI. 10 of those home runs have come ever since the beginning of the month of August, so he has been able to get white off for this team. Luis Robert, he is hitting a 340 as well. Eloy Menes has been in and out of the fold, but he's hitting right around 270. He's got some good pop in the bat as well. And for the White Sox, you do have a solid bullpen. You've got Liam Hendricks along with Craig Kimbrell. They've been a little bit out of sorts recently, but they seem to be reining it back in. Aaron Bummer has been a little bit of a bummer, but I do like Ryan Tapera what he's able to provide as well. And for the Oakland A's, Lou Trevino has like a 9 ERA ever since the beginning of the month of August. It has been cataclysmic bad for him, but you still have Jake Diekman and Andrew Chafin. These guys have been reliable all year long. Deolis Carrera it's typically not used in high leverage spots, but he's actually been halfway decent for the team. AJ Puck is someone that they are not going to have moving forward. It looks like he's on the injured list, but Sergio Romo, ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's been able to post up an ERA that has been hovering right around at 3-ish, so he's been able to improve here in the month of September. It's not necessarily been so great. He wound up having a bad series against the Blue Jays, but by and large, has been able to give you a little bit of something, so we are in 
in a fascinating spot here. When it comes to the Oakland A's, I was willing to lay up to a minus 132 here because I do think that Manea is going to be able to bounce back. I do think that you've got a pair of good offenses as well. So, wound up setting the soul at a 9.2. So, in this spot, going to be taking the Oakland A's and I'm going to be taking this total over 961, 962 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins are going to be in the road to face off against the Cleveland Indians. Cal Quantrill is going to be going for the Windy Indians. Randy Dominic is going to be on the bump for the Minnesota Twins. Total on this game is 9. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105 with the Indians. You're going to be getting them between minus 127 and minus 140. Plus price with Minnesota is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. And I'm going to be relying upon Cal Quantrill once again. I do recognize that his last start against the Boston Red Sox was not good. But prior to that, he had given up one run or fewer in six out of his last eight starts. And he's going up against the guy, Randy Dobnik, that to say he has not been good this year would be very generous. He is giving up two home runs per nine innings. He's only giving up right around two walks per nine innings, but his swing and miss stuff is not there. This is a man that gives you right around five strikeouts for nine innings, and he's got an ERA that is a ghastly 764. You take a look at him on the road. He's actually been better than he has been at home, but that's because he's got an 1109 home ERA. On the road, it's more like a 563. It's given up on the road. More like about a home run and a half per nine innings, but opponents are also hitting overall off of them this year, a 310. So, and it's not too terrific. You take a look at this Cleveland Indians lineup, and they were certainly held down yesterday, but you do have a pair of guys in Framio Reyes along with Jose Ramirez, who are doing a great job this year. A combined 59 home runs between these two. They are both hitting between about a 255 to a 260, and then you've got Harold Ramirez, who's hitting a 265 for this bunch as well. Ryan LaFarnway along with Mid Rosario are a pair of guys hitting above a 285 for this bunch now. You do need to get a little bit more of something out of Bobby Bradley, Yu Chang, along with Daniel Johnson. These guys are in between a 215 to a 225. And then you got guys like Owen Miller, Andres Jimenez hitting below a 210 for this bunch. But you certainly do have some guys doing a solid job there. And the further the Minnesota Twins, Byron Buxton is coming off the injury list, has not been himself hitting below the middle line. But Luis Arias is hitting a 301 for this bunch. Ore Palanco, he has been able to go deep. 27 times so far this year. And Miguel Sano, ever since the beginning of the month of July, right around a 345 on base, he's got 25 home runs so far this year. Now with Sano, you're able to throw in there Jake Cave, Max Kepler, Ryan Jeffers, Andrelton Simmons. List goes on and on of guys hitting a 225 or lower. Ben Rothfeld, Brent Rooker, just for good measure. But you do also have Josh Donaldson, 21 home runs. He's hitting about a 250 with a 350 on base for the Minnesota Twins. So the big thing is the bullpen is going to be taxed quite a bit in this spot. And I just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of them now. They wound up getting a very surprisingly tremendous start out of Joe Ryan yesterday. Giving up one hit in seven innings in his second career start, but you don't have a lot of faith in guys like Ori Alcala. Alex Colome has been a big, giant waste of money. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of Luke Farrell, and it's been very good, but it's been a small sample size because he's been banged up most of the year. And then for the Cleveland Indians, Emmanuel Classe, sub-2 ERA. Blake Parker has been nails for the team with right around 280 ERA. Brian Shaw has been able to give you some good innings. Nick Wickren has certainly been up and down all season long. Here in September, he hasn't been good, but did have a 225 ERA in the month of August. Looked like he was turning the corner a little bit, so I think that this is going to be a little bit of a fascinating spot, but I wound up setting the Indians as a very sizable favorite of north of minus 150. If you're taking a look at the run line, I'm seeing in some faraway places as high as a plus 155. Most of the Vegas books have a plus 145. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game for the Cleveland Indians, so I'm going to wind up taking that run line, and I'm going to wind up taking that big plus price. Also wind up setting this all at 9.8, so going over along with that Indians run line. 963, 964 is a New York post play that has the Kansas City Royals that throw to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. John means, let's hope he doesn't mean business for the Baltimore Orioles as 
Carlos Hernandez is going to be going for the Royals. The Royals are finding themselves as underdogs in this spot. Anywhere between even money and plus 115. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Orioles, anywhere between minus 120 and minus 130 is your price. Nine and a half is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even and minus 105. At this point, I cannot advocate for laying prices on the Baltimore Orioles. I do recognize that John Means has been relatively solid so far this year, but you take a look at what he's done ever since coming off the injured list in July, and he's got a north of five ERA. His home run issues have certainly manifested himself. He's given up overall for the year right in the neighborhood of about 1.9-ish home runs per nine innings. And then you take a look at Mr. Carlos Hernandez, and this guy has been absolutely magnificent for this team. Ever since the beginning of the month of August, he's got a sub-235 ERA, has been able to do a good job of being a blessing in the walks. Ever since the beginning of the month of August, he's got sub-two walks per nine innings, so that is something that you certainly like to see. Has given up two runs or fewer in now six out of his last seven starts, and the team has been absolutely absolutely rolling recently. Whenever he winds up pitching in games, the Royals are 7-1 in his last eight appearances. And then with Kansas City Royals as well, you've got a guy by the name of Salvador Perez, and he's right now trying to track down that home run title as he has got 41 home runs north of 100 RBI. He, along with Merrifield, in between about a 270 to a 280. You've got Adalberto Mondesi back to full, has been used in small doses, but he's hitting right around 300. Andrew Benatendi, he's been able to give you right around 250 batting average. You've had in and out of the fold, Ansel Alberto, he's been able to give you a tad bit of something as well. Then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles and you do have a couple guys who are doing a good job for you as you've had Trey Bobo Mancini in and out of the fold the last couple days, but he, Austin Ace, Anthony Santander, Ore Mateo, are hitting between about a 242-255. You've got Cedric Mullins, who's been absolutely amazing for the team. 27 home runs, north of a 300 batting average for Ryan Mountcastle. He's hitting a 265. He's been able to go deep about 24 times himself. Pedro Severino's hitting about a 235, and then you do have a couple guys that they do need to pick it up. Ryan McKenna, DJ Stewart, Domingo Leyva, Jemai Jones, Calvin Gutierrez, Austin Wins, all these guys are hitting a 215 or lower. And for the Baltimore Orioles, I mean, they've got the worst bullpen ERA in the American League. It has been terrible. Cole Solzer's been able to give you a couple decent innings, but you take a look at some of these guys, and they just don't belong on an MLB roster at this point. You've gotten absolutely nothing from Fernando Abad. He has been very Abad with a north of 8 ERA. Manny Barreda is someone that's getting innings for this team, along with Connor Green. It is just not good. The Orioles entered into Wednesday with a 5.70 ERA. That is more than a half a point worse than any other team out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, for the Kansas City Royals, ever since the All-Star break, they rank in the top six with regards to bullpen ERA. Jake Brents along Scott Barlow, both their guys with sub-3-3 ERAs. Josh Shamount has been able to be relatively solid for this team. And Domingo Tapia, to my surprise, he's got right around two ERA. Joel Payampas, a sub-3 ERA. So you've got quite a few guys there. You've got a guy in Carlos Hernandez who has really been rolling. So the New York Post play today here is going to be the Royals on the money line. And when it comes to the total, I did wind up sending it at a 9.2. I do think that means gets lit up a little bit, but at the same time, I think that the Orioles get held down. This is a bunch in which they have scored four runs or fewer and now 22 out of their last 28 games. And ever since the All-Star break, bottom four in the American League with the yards of runs per game. So taking the under along with the Royals, which is a New York post pick. And we wrap things up with 965-966 out there in the Bronx with the New York Yankees playing OC Toronto Blue Jays. Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Jays. Meanwhile, Nestor Cortez is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves as slight favorites between minus 110 and minus 120. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Jays, you're going to be getting them between even money and plus 105. 9.5 is your total. Overs between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is any between minus 105 and minus 110. Was willing to lay up to a minus 118 here with the New York Yankees, so we have barely gotten there with Cortez. He has been able to do a good job of being able to lock down opponents and 
He has been at his best whenever he's been at Yankee Stadium. You take a look at the splits. Buck 72 home ERA, 350 road ERA. In four starts, nine total appearances at Yankee Stadium. Three home runs at 10 blocks surrendered in 31 and a third innings. An opponent's earning a buck 78 off of him. Then you take a look at Mr. Jose Barrios saying he no longer really has demonstrative home and road splits. He's been able to do a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard, giving up right around one maybe even 1.1 home runs per nine innings, but certainly nothing bad there. Right around, I would say, about 2.3 walks per nine innings. So he's been a pretty steady Eddie guy. He wound up having not necessarily the world's greatest month of August slash early September, right around a 3.85 ERA in this time span. So it certainly has been a little bit up and down. You take a look at what the Blue Jays have been able to do in his recent starts, and it hasn't been great. They are 2-4 and four in his last six, so that certainly is a little bit of an issue. Not necessarily because he's pitched bad. He has given up ever since coming over to the Toronto Blue Jays. Three runs or fewer in five out of his seven starts, but he is also backed up by a bullpen of the Jays that it has been highly suspect. You've got a guy in Adam Simber that has had his trials and tribulations to say the least. You take a look at him going into the game yesterday. In his last 30 days, more around a 3-5 ERA. That's not necessarily the Adam Simber that you know and love. Tim Maza is someone that's got an ERA that hovers right around a 3.33. so he's actually been relatively solid. Jordan Romano as well, but Taylor Sacito has not been able to give you really those great innings. They are bringing back Julian Merriweather, which is big, so they are able to get out some of the guys that have been a little bit more suspect for the team. They've been dealing with Rafael Dolis being out for quite a while and for the Yankees. They do have a bullpen that has been a little bit tattered as well. They didn't necessarily get the length that they were hoping for out of Luis Eel yesterday. So Lucas Lugie had to come into the game early. Jonathan Luiz gets on the injured list, but you have seen Aroldis Chapman look quite a bit more like his normal self. You've been able to get quite a bit of something out of this lineup as well as you've got a trio of guys with north of 26 home runs so far this year in John Carlos San, Aaron Judge, along with Joey Gallo. Now, for Gallo, he, Gary Sanchez, Rudnett Odar, you're able to throw in there. Kyle Gashioka, Brett Gardner are hitting a 220 or lower, but Anthony Rizzo has a 350 on base for this team. You've also got a guy in DJ LeMayu hitting right around 265. Jewer Shell is back in the folk. Labor Torres has been able to give you a tad bit of something, and for the Blue Jays, this is no question a very good lineup of their own. Tasker Hernandez, Bo Bichette, both of these guys hitting between a 285 to a 295. You've got Bichette, who's been able to go deep 21 times. Hernandez, 25 times. You've got quite a bit of something out of Marcus Simeon as well. How about 38 home runs going into yesterday? That's pretty darn solid. Vlagero Jr., 40 bombs. He's been able to hit a 320 as well, so got a lot of guys being able to get the job done for the team. Even a guy like a Lourdes Goriel is hitting at 275 and Alejandro Kirk right now hitting at 285 as well, so I do take a look at the spot and I do think that Cortez is going to be able to do a solid job against a very good Blue Jays lineup, which is why I'm going to be taking the Yankees on the money line, and I did wind up saying this only 8.7. I do recognize the firepower that the Blue Jays have, but at the same time, I think that both of these starters are going to come out, give you a good start, so taking the under along with the Yankees, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Thursday. A big thanks to Dario Melendez of Bali Sports out there in the great state of Wisconsin for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, got one or two ways to be out for this in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters here. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.